I want to jump right into the message this morning, but before I do, I want to review a couple of things. See, we're in week four of a series called First Things First, and our goal for this series has been simply to um, make sure that before we jump into New Year's resolutions to try to better or improve or change some things about our lives that uh, may not have pleased us in the past, specifically last year, that we needed to kind of make sure we had some tools that would make sure that we're successful in sustaining the change that we want to attempt because we've all attempted resolutions in the past that haven't made it past a week or a month or a few months at best. And so this year is going to be different. I've asked us as a church to kind of take our list of resolutions and actually set them to the side just for the month of January so that we can collect these tools that we need. And then starting uh, tomorrow, I want us to jump full force into at least one thing that we believe that God would call us to improve or change or tweak or stop about our life that we can actually sustain this year because of the tools that we've talked about. So let me review with you really quickly the tools that we've talked about over the last four weeks. Um, First week, we talked about self-control. If you remember, um, our verse for the week was Proverbs 25, 28, which says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. That no amount of change that we want to sustain in this life is possible without self-control. That if we can't say no to things that we need to say no to, and we can't uh, fight off the temptation to stop a commitment, uh, then there's no chance that we have of succeeding. And the good news that we said was that self-control is the fruit of the Spirit, and the more we walk with Christ, the more self-control is produced in our lives. The second week, we talked about our motivation in resolutions. That we have many different reasons for wanting to change things about our life. But ultimately, we said that our greatest motivation has to be the glory of God if we're going to experience any true sustaining in our lives. And the verse that we looked at was 1 Corinthians 10, 31, which says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. That everything that we're attempting this year should be for God's glory. If His glory is our motivation through sustaining these changes, and these changes will be life-giving rather than uh, life-taking. Last week, uh, we talked about having steadfast endurance. That there has to be something within us that just says, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep pressing through. I'm not going to allow myself to get so tired and weary that I give up on what God's called me to. And the verse that we looked at was Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, which says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So whatever resolutions we're going to attempt this year, if we have self-control and if we have the proper motivation being the glory of God, and if we allow ourselves to not grow weary and we have this steadfast endurance that just says, this is my commitment, like it or not, it's going to be with me forever, um, plus what we're going to talk about today, then I believe that this change that we're seeking in life will be sustained. And we'll find ourselves this time next year looking back on a life-giving year, proud of where we've come from. You ever look back on your life and you said, I'm so glad I'm not where I used to be. I want next year to be that year in my life and in yours. Where we look back on 2015, actually we look back on 2016 and we say, we've come so far from where we were. 
because God has helped us with these changes that needed to take place in our life. And so today, uh, we're going to look at a a topic that uh, hopefully will be helpful to you. I'm going to try to have a little fun with you this morning. Um, I'm going to say a cuss word multiple times throughout our sermon today, and you'll just have to forgive me in advance. Don't get offended. It'll be uh, a word that you don't like, but it's a word that you need to hear. And uh, so that's, that's something. I'm going to read a scripture to you that uh, doesn't particularly pertain to the topic, and it's going to be offensive to some of you, but I just felt like sharing it because it's in the Bible, and that's uh, going to happen. Uh, I'm going to share a few stories with you, uh, and I'm going to attempt to illustrate a point to you. We'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. So here we go. Let's jump into today's topic. Some of you are like, I can't believe that he's going to cuss. It's okay. Week number four. In order for us to sustain change in our lives, here's your cuss word. It's an A word, followed by two letters. Accountability. Accountability. I know you don't like that word. I don't like that word. It's a bad word. I consider it a cuss word at times because I don't like people in my business. But if we don't have accountability in this life, any change that we attempt is pointless. It's vain. Right? I mean, if you've set a goal for yourself and no one knows about it, then when you fail, no one's there to encourage you or strengthen you. When you miss the boat in this area, no one's there to correct you. No one can help you. If no one knows your goals, then your goals are pointless. Would you agree with that statement? Now, I don't, I don't like the word accountability because most of us don't like people looking over our shoulders and telling us how to live our lives. But if we live life with no accountability, then we will, I have found, have not much self-control. We'll lose focus of our motivation, which should be the glory of God. And we won't be able to endure steadfastly because we won't have any voices in our life encouraging us and correcting us. So as you think about resolutions, I want you to think about who you're going to share those resolutions with. Right? Think about it. Here's here's a difference. Right? I want to lose 10 pounds this year. I'm not going to tell anybody though because if I don't, then nobody will know that I tried. Right? So then when you're faced with a situation to eat something that you've committed not to eat, you're like, well, no one's going to know that I'm breaking my resolution, so I'm just going to go ahead and eat it, and then it's easy to fall off the bandwagon. Does that make sense? I'm going to exercise five times a week this year. That's what I'm going to do. I haven't exercised like I should. I'm, going to do. I'm not going to share that resolution with anybody, though, because I'm going to come home, and I'm going to be tired, and when I don't feel like doing it, and I don't exercise, and no one's going to know that I made that commitment, And then no one's going to ask me if I exercise five times this week. And so then they won't know that I'm a failure. Do you understand that many times in life we feel like the safety of obscurity is a blanket for success. But the truth is, obscurity in our lives leads to failure that we never want to admit. We never want to admit. People don't know things that we commit to, therefore... They don't know that we failed our commitments. And we feel, we've, we've believed a myth that has taught us that that's a way to live life. In fact, bringing it into our faith, we've come to the point where we have believed that our faith is private. Think about this. Your faith is personal. 
meaning what mama believed, what grandma believed, what brother or sister believed, can't get you to heaven, can't help you stay committed to Jesus. You've got to have a personal faith, but your faith was never intended to be private. Like you weren't intended to walk with Jesus by yourself with no one knowing about it. It was never God's intention. So when we walk with Jesus, it's important for us to walk with other people. Now, here's the verse, and here's why I think it's so important. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. In other words, you'll never be as sharp as God intended if you don't have other people in your life willing to correct you, encourage you, push you places you don't want to go. That people in our lives make us better. That's why I love the name Synergy for our church. It's because we're better together. We accomplish more together than we can individually. Now, some of you would say, I have accomplished some goals in my life that no one ever knew about. I've done things because I had the willpower, I had the strength, I had the talent. I accomplished things and no one ever knew about it. Uh, But isn't it sad to accomplish things and not have anyone there to celebrate with you? That you are in a place in life where your greatest victories are private and people can't even celebrate your victories. But all the defeats that go along with that process that cause us to think that's how we should live life should hopefully motivate us this year to be better. Now, I've got with me two tomatoes and a really dull knife. So I'm going to cut this tomato with this dull knife and prove to you, let me cover my phone up here. That many of us live life like this. We just think if we can get through the tomato, that's success, right? Like the goal is to slice the tomato, and I slice the tomato so my life is a success. And that's the extent of our goals. We just live lives in such a way that we feel as if if we make it through certain stages or certain areas, then that's success for us. But in doing so, by not sharing our life and our resolutions or our weaknesses or areas that we're seeking to improve, what we miss out on is an opportunity to not just get through the tomato, but to slice it in such a way that it comes easier. It takes less effort. It becomes more natural that we're able to see results by sharing our goals with others. Now, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, I've got with me this morning a sharpening steel, a honing rod that is made of steel just like the knife, only it doesn't have a sharp edge on it. Now, the knife is supposed to be sharp, which isn't currently, but the steel isn't supposed to be sharp. 
The knife has a specific purpose that it's intended to serve, and so does the honing rod, but they're different. Okay, so I want you to think about your resolutions this year. The areas in your life where you want to improve. The areas in your life where you need to stop doing some things. The areas in your life where you need to start doing some things. And I want you to understand that alone, you might can get some things done. But together, with the proper technique, we can get to a place where we're more effective at what we're called to do. Now, I was thinking this week, preparing this message, what a honing rod, what a sharpening steel looks like for us in life as we're seeking to accomplish goals. And I thought about people in our lives that are willing to have difficult conversations with us, who aren't afraid to voice their opinions to us and say to us, I feel like you're making some mistakes in life. I feel like you're going about this in the wrong ways in life. I want you to know that I care about you enough to have this conversation. It's not going to be an easy conversation, and you may not like me as much afterwards, but I've got your best interest in mind. Do you have people in your life like that? Do you have people in your life that can just be brutally honest with you, that will just say to you, listen, this area of your life has got to change. You're headed down an unhealthy path. Because if you don't have people in your life that are willing to say that, then you're never going to become as sharp as you could be. Does that make sense? I think, of, I think of a person in our life that provides accountability to us in a couple of ways. Let me, let me share a story with you. Or it's not really a story. It's a, a life place where our family is. For Christmas, we, uh, we bought a, a four-wheeler for our two boys. And um, it's, it's a little 50, the smallest size four-wheeler they make. It's 10 years old. We bought it from a friend for a really good price. It made sense, um, especially that I've always had a dream in life to have a four-wheeler. I've always asked for one for Christmas. And I know that I've even taught before that we shouldn't live vicariously through our children, but somehow I found myself with an opportunity to give my kids a gift that I never got, and I took advantage of it. And so... We got our kids this four-wheeler. My youngest son is only three. And when he sits on this four-wheeler, his feet literally, like on his tiptoes, barely touch the platforms where your feet are supposed to be. He's really not big enough for this four-wheeler. But we gave it to them both as a gift because we knew that he would grow into it. And so as it's a gift for both of them, I knew that I couldn't keep him off of it. And so I invested in what's called a kill switch. And it's, it's a kill switch where I install... Um, a device that has a remote control that will allow me to push a button and kill the engine. It won't stop. It doesn't initiate the brakes. It doesn't stop, but it keeps the engine dead. It kills the engine so that he can't keep going places. So what that allowed me to do was, as I was trying to teach him to ride this four-wheeler, it would let me say, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, I'm going to kill the engine. And after I kill the engine, then you're going to learn that you're not going to do that or you're going to get off this four-wheeler. Okay. Well, the problem was, after I got this kill switch installed, the very next weekend, we went up to my grandparents' house. They have 18 acres, and they've got some trails where the boys could ride, and I thought that they would have a lot of fun, and the kill switch wasn't working. 
And I've sent customer support. They sent me a new unit. It works great now, but it wasn't working. And it had been raining. Remember when we had monsoons that lasted for like eight years? Um, it had been raining a lot. And uh, at my grandparents' house, inside's kind of grandma's, outside's papa's. We just know that when we go inside, we take our shoes off. We don't get on the white carpet with our shoes on. And outside, we know if it's been raining, we don't drive on my grandfather's grass. He loves his grass, and so we stay off the grass. And so I told my boys, you stay on the trail. You don't go on the grass at all. And um, I tried to trick Cohen, my three-year-old, into thinking the kill switch still worked. And I said, if you go off this trail, I'm going to kill the engine. And that didn't work. He's all boy, and he's wide open, and he just presses it. And even though I had the throttle um, screwed down to where he couldn't go as fast as he wanted to, he just took off up past the garden, and he was going up the hill. It's got a few terraces, and I just knew that my wife was going to kill me when he flipped this thing and injured himself. And so I took off yelling, Cohen! I took off running after him as fast as I could. And it was wet, and by the garden there was mud. And I slipped, and I just slid and fell. I had mud all over me. And he circled around like a champ and came back down. He's like, Daddy, what's wrong? And I was like, I'm going to beat you. Get off of this four-wheeler right now. But now that the kill switch is working, right, when he starts going somewhere I tell him not to, I just kill the engine. I'm like, son, what are you thinking? You can't do that. And I think that having accountability in our life is a lot like having a kill switch. That we've got someone in our life that knows our goals, that knows our life, that knows what we're trying to pursue and where we're supposed to go, that's willing to say, hey, 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 hey. you got to stop it. This is not working. You are not allowed to go down that path because I know you enough. I love you enough. You've invited me into your life to share with this resolution, this change, this lifestyle, to know that you've got to stop filling the blank. Do you have a kill switch in your life? Do you have anybody in your life that's willing to say to you, throw the brakes on, kill the engine, let's have a talk because you're going in the wrong direction? You're going towards something that's not safe and if you keep going, you're going to find destruction ahead. See, most of us, we don't have that kill switch in our life. Someone who's willing to tell us to stop right where we are and change direction. But then, in addition to at times having people in our life that tell us you got to stop, you're going in the wrong direction, sometimes, honestly, we need people in our life that are willing to recharge us that are willing to push us when we're kind of on empty. You know, like at the end of the day when your phone is out of juice and you go to bed and you plug it in, or you've got the rechargeable batteries that after they've been used for a while, they're out of juice and you plug them in to be recharged, that many of us go through seasons of our life where we just we feel depleted. We feel like we can't go on. We have nothing left in us. And if we don't have somebody in our life that's willing to speak into us, that's willing to say, listen, man, you're better than you think you are. You're doing so much better than you think you are. I know you want to give up because you feel like a failure in this area of your life, but let me just tell you, you can do it. You can make it. You've just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. You've got to keep walking. You've got to keep trying. You've got to keep allowing yourself to pursue this area of your life. Do you have like a recharging station in your life? Someone that's, that's willing to confront you 
in your moments of weakness and say, listen, you can do this. You can make it. There is greatness ahead if you'll just keep pressing on. See, I've found in my life at times when it comes to pursuing change or trying to better something about my life that I have a tendency to want to quit when I get tired and I have a tendency to want to go in the wrong direction when it gets difficult. Or if there's something more tempting in a different direction, I have a tendency to want to steer. And I need people in my life that'll say, hey, kill the engine. You're going the wrong way. And I also need people in my life that will say, you're making a difference. You've just got to keep being faithful. You're doing a good job. There is nothing wrong with you. You aren't defective. God isn't disappointed in you. There is something about you that God has called you to that no one else in this entire world can accomplish. And if you don't keep going, if you quit now, then it's not going to be accomplished. And so I've got a group of people in my life, some family, some friends, that will say to me, you're thinking about that wrong. You're allowing your circumstances to dictate your direction. Who love me enough to correct me and who love me enough to encourage me, to push me. Without accountability, we can't see our lives become as sharp as we're intended to. Now, just the other night, I got a message on Facebook from the brother of a former girlfriend of mine who I haven't talked to in some time. And at, in the evening when I was going to bed, I handed my phone to my wife and I was like, I just wanted you to know that the brother of a former girlfriend messaged me. We messaged back and forth. And she says to me, she's like, what do you think? I don't trust you or something? And I was like, no, I just want you to know everything. I don't want you to find out about something later in life and feel like I tried to hide it from you. What was I doing? I was like, I want to be accountable to you. In addition to that, she's got permission to read my messages, and I knew that if I showed it to her, there's probably going to be a point in the future where she's going to go back and read it, and it would keep me from asking about my ex-girlfriend. I was like, I got no business asking about her. I don't want nothing about her. I'm not using this as an opportunity to reconnect in any way. And the way that I can maintain that integrity is by just inviting the love of my life into this conversation. It's just, I just wanted to be sharp, right? You've got those situations at work where you could kind of hedge some things. No one's going to know about it. And if you don't invite someone into your life, you might head down a destructive path. Is simply inviting someone, listen, I've got an opportunity to do something really stupid, and I just wanted you to know that I've got that opportunity. I don't intend to do anything stupid, but would you please ask me from time to time if I'm planning on doing anything stupid? That'll keep me from doing it because I know that you're going to ask me. And so we've got to make sure that we invite people into our lives. And once we invite people into our lives, what we'll find is, that we become much sharper because of their impact on us. I saw my dad do this one time when he cut his fingers. I'm not going to do that. This is the last one. <laughs> we become much sharper 
when other people are involved in our life. Now, many of you have resolutions, you have goals, you have things that you want to achieve in life, and if you fail to share that goal with someone and invite them into the process, you might still accomplish that goal, but I can promise you, you're not going to be as sharp on the other end as you would be if you had invited someone into your life. Let me read a few more scriptures to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. This is kind of the theme of our church and how we named our church Synergy. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. How many people feel ashamed of things in their life that they know need to be corrected, but the shame causes them to want to hide it? And then when they fall, when they fail, they have no one to help them up? I think of people with various abuses in their life, be it substance abuse, be it pornography, be it financial abuse, where they don't involve people in their life because they're ashamed of where they are or where they've been in the past. And they think, if I just try hard enough, then I can become someone I'm not now. And then people will love me for who I'm becoming and not for who I am now. And that's a lie because we need people to help us get somewhere that we're not currently at. If you ever fall and you've got no one to help you up, Solomon is saying, I pity you. That's a terrible place to be. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We're stronger together. Listen, we are more powerful together. We can accomplish more together than we can individually. We just have to be vulnerable enough to find people in our lives that we trust enough to be open books that will love us enough to keep some secrets if we need some secrets kept, but will love us enough to push us past where we are so that we can become sharper and accomplish things that God's called us to accomplish Here's the last verse that I want to leave with you. James chapter 5, verse 16. And I want you to look at this verse a little differently. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let me read it again. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, when we sin, we have a tendency to want to hide. We're ashamed of sin. We confess it to God, forgive me, and we try to do better. But when we fail to confess sin to people in our lives that hold us accountable, we're really missing out on an opportunity for healing. See this lie that says, if I just try harder, if I work you know, more diligently, then I'll become someone better. It's kind of missing a key ingredient that God intended in your life, and that's somebody that can know your business and can pray for you in the midst of your sin. See, I always kind of thought of this like simply as physical healing, like the reason that I pray for someone and they're not healed is because there might be sin in their life. Or the reason someone prays for me and I'm not healed physically is because there might be sin in my life. 
And so I've got to confess that sin, kind of get it off my chest. That way I can receive the physical healing. But you know, there's emotional healing that we miss out on because we hold things in, that we carry the weight of guilt and shame that we could be healed and set free from because we don't involve people in our lives. The prayer of a righteous is powerful and effective. And when we try to change things about ourselves, and we've tried over and over, and we've fallen off the bandwagon, we try and we fail, we try and we fail. I'm going to do better this year. I didn't do as good last year. I'm going to do better again this year. Had a bad day, had a bad week. I'm going to make it better, I'm going to start afresh. And we try this mental battle on our own, and we keep facing defeat. What we're missing out on is a reality that the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. What we can't defeat on our own, prayers make up the difference. Well, we can't receive prayer if we don't confess that sin to someone. I'm not talking about like your deepest, darkest, most evil moments of your life, simply. I'm talking about an ongoing conversation with men in your life, with women in your life, who love you enough to walk with you through the messes, who understand that you're not perfect, though you may try to act like you are. They're there to say, it's okay. You can do better. I'm going to push you forward, and I'm going to help you change direction and kill that engine because you're heading in the wrong direction. And I'm going to pray for you through this process. And we're going to believe together that God's going to make up the difference in your life. Accountability plays such a huge role in who we are and what we do. So we've got to have self-control if we're going to accomplish anything this year on our list of resolutions. We've got to have the motivation being the glory of God that will allow us to do everything for His glory and not simply for ourselves. We've got to have an endurance a steadfastness that just says, I don't care what happens, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep running. I believe that this is something that God's called me to. But then we've also got to have accountability. We've got to have people to come alongside of us who share in our goals. What are your resolutions? You want to read the Bible more? You want to pray more? You want to lose some weight? You want to eat better? You want to exercise differently? You want to stay on a budget? What's that look like? You want to finally be free from some areas of your life where you've struggled for years and years and you're really just getting weary of struggling with the same things and you just feel like giving up and why is it even worth trying because I'm not good enough? You've got to invite people into your life that this is the year, I believe, for us to experience God's very best. This could be the year that we experience things that we've never experienced before. Because we allow these tools to be a platform by which every resolution that we attempt is sat on.